Welcome to Narda Gusen Teaching Broadcast. I am Narda Gusen, your host, and I thank you for joining me right here on His Royal Diadems Radio, where we share and glean from the Word of God each week. My prayer is that your time spent with me will be both encouraging and educational so that you can be equipped and empowered in the things of the Lord. Now join me as we tune in to a broadcast already in session. We are in the season where the resurrection of our Lord is celebrated from all corners of the earth. The triumphant victory Yeshua won at the cross makes it possible for us, for you and for me, to be who we are today. Sons and daughters who have been forgiven and made righteous through the blood of his sacrifice. Sons and daughters reconciled and restored back to a loving father. Sons and daughters who are now clothed and equipped with a spiritually divine garment. Sons and daughters who he calls royal diadems in his hands. It was while on the cross that Yeshua defeated every enemy and conquered the grave three days later. And it is from this point of victory, from this point of truth, that today we can put on the full armor of God and stand firm in our daily warfare until he returns. Glory to God. There are seven last sayings when Yeshua was on the cross, but that's not what I'm going to speak on today. I'm just going to preface and tap because for the next three days, we are all going to hear beautiful sermons about our Lord's death, his burial and his resurrection. And we're going to hear uh, wonderful exhortations from those very important last words he spoke before he gave up the ghost. And even though this is a popular season, let me remind us that we are admonished to commemorate and observe our Lord's death often. Amen. So my hope in today's lesson is to connect the finished work of the cross with what that means as it relates to the believer's walk and the purpose it serves in our lives daily. As I was meditating on the message and how it relates to the resurrection, the Holy Spirit revealed something I had not seen before up until today. With the last seven uh, sayings, last sayings of Yeshua, there are also seven pieces of armor. Isn't that amazing? And the piece of armor I want to focus on today is the helmet of salvation. Now, why? Why out of all the pieces of the armor, why the helmet of salvation? Well, because apart from it being the topic of study I was coming in to speak on initially, it dawned on me that Narda, it's Resurrection Month. So to be honest, I, I really thought to leave this teaching for another time um, because it seemed logical. But, you know, the Lord, he is so unconventional and we must be able to swiftly hear when his wind blows and he changes the compass of the course to sail in the direction he wants it and you to move in. Because he can change the compass, but we must be willing to uh, alter and change with him. And so basically, after attempting to teach on the typical, uh, you know, death, burial and resurrection subject, which is, again, a typical sermon that is something we do during this time, he sent me right back to the message I began with. So I began to scribe while meditating and asking him to, to show me how to piece it all together. So I pray even now, Abba, 
that you will begin to thread the fabric of your truth and weave them into our hearts. Let this word fall on good ground, Holy Spirit. And we ask you to come because you are the teacher. I thank you for clarity of thought and brevity of speech as I yield myself to your leading and your Lordship. In Yeshua's name, everyone say amen. You may want to grab a pen and a paper for some notes, get some warm coffee, get some tea or some hot chocolate, and let's glean what the master has for us today. My key study verses are taken from Ephesians 6, 11 through 17, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, and 1 Corinthians 2, 16. And in today's study, we are going to briefly cover the helmet of salvation and the purpose it serves in our lives. Because you see, once upon a time, and it's a true story, I encountered a personal, unexpected, physical, spiritual attack that in order to outlive the wounds I had sustained, I was going to need a godly strategy and a plan from God. Because if not... If not, I can boldly confess that I would not have behaved any differently than King David putting Uriah on the front line of the battlefield and having him executed. Yes, because life is that real. It was an attack forged straight out of the pit of hell, a satanic onslaught that came to destroy and wipe the purpose for which I was created. It was coming for me, people of God. It had my name on it and it was coming and guess what? It came. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 16, 2 and verse 16 and 2 Corinthians 10 and, and the book of Ephesians, they helped me to understand how to navigate through these dark chapters and, and these pits of, of my life. And it reads, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. For the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is the mind of Christ? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ or to take up the helmet of salvation of salvation at this junction of, of the lesson I want to give you a visual I want to draw a mental picture so so pay very close attention and follow me as I share and bring you into a vision I had several years ago because as a soldier I knew that if I was going to outlive this adversity, I had to be covered with the various pieces of weaponry that God had designed to protect and equip me for fighting. Because I needed supernatural ability and I needed his strength and that could only come from a higher source. And there are many of you watching and listening in today, and you are on the battlefield of life. You are fighting for your life. You are fighting for your sanity. You may be fighting for your family, your children, your marriage. You may be fighting for your health. You didn't see it coming. And you didn't hear when the enemy unleashed a pipe bomb that hit your life. And now it has shattered and destroyed the world as you knew it. 
But yet here you are, a wounded soldier. And some of you, you've been keeping it a secret. You've, you've been patching yourself up, cleaning your wounds and faking it till you make it. You've been fighting alone. But if the truth be told, you are scared and spiritually spiraling in a downward slope. And you don't know how to stop it. And I know this because I know what it is to take a hit and be gravely wounded in this Christian journey. But I remember that as I was hit, I secured each piece of my armor. And as I did my heart, it was panting with anticipation. For my God had promised that the victory was already won through the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. And so I began to worship. I began to exalt and eulogize the Lordship of my Jehovah Nissi. And in the spirit, I heard the booming timbers of victory. An incomparable sanguine atmosphere was released as I praised and worshipped my victor and my champion, Jesus Christ. As I lifted up my banner, the streamers, they began to signal warnings of war. And I could see them swaying in splendor and they radiated this majestic sovereignty, this beauty that came from the Most High. Because He is my standard he is my paradigm and my garments. They revealed the insignia of the cross. But hear me, as I took hold of my helmet, I observed that it sustained damages. My once marvelously and intricately fashioned helmet was now dented, cracked and tarnished. I could see where the fragmented tears needed mending because too long I had allowed negative thoughts to freely meander through my mind. And it was through this loophole, listen carefully. It was through this loophole, my foes had been able to plant seeds of doubt, insecurity, and fear. But the Holy Spirit reminded me that he would keep me in perfect peace if I kept my mind on him. So I immediately, you know, and attentively began to seize every negative thought as commanded in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And I brought it to the obedience, obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as I did this, my helmet began to shield and protect my mind from all assaults of the evil one. Every time I allowed his word to govern my thoughts, it gave me the peace that sheltered me from the onslaughts of the adversary and it shielded my mind like a powerful helmet. Now let's look at six very important keywords and phrases. Number one, strongholds. Number two, mind of Christ. Three, helmet of salvation. Four, arguments. Five, presumption. Six, thoughts. Seven, obedience. What is a stronghold? Well, 2 Corinthians 10.4, it reads, The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The word stronghold that is used in this verse is taken from the root axiruo, which means a fortified military stronghold, a strong walled fortress. 
And Paul used it here to metaphorically describe the believer's spiritual battle. But what exactly are these strongholds Paul is speaking about? Well, let's look at the next verse where he sheds more light on what these are and what they do. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Arguments, the logismos is a reasoning, is a thought or, or the calculated conceptions which comes out of a personal reckoning or opinion. Pretentious, uh, pretensions is the hupsoma, that which is lifted up, that which is serving as a bulwark or a barrier. It is a raised high structure. And imaginations, the noima, is a thought, is the purpose. So the thought, the purpose, the design, which is a result or the final output of what comes out of the mind, the heart, the soul of man. Let me give you an example. The enemy has invaded into our school system, right? This is no big revelation. He uses people and groups like the LGBT agenda to devise plans to get into the young minds of our children. And now even as young as our infants, this is how devilish the agenda is. Their plan is to infiltrate their perverted and twisted ideas and lifestyle that is anti-God, by the way, by penetrating and seeping into the psyche of man, the mind. These are the humanistic ideologies or, or some of the humanistic ideologies, false theories, the philosophies and reasonings of this present age. Our enemy has strategically built great walls of resistance, the logimos. He's infiltrated his calculated conceptions from his personal opinion. And now he's got a line of defense, the hupsoma, and created strong forts that serve as a barrier or a bulwark. And these imaginations, the noima, stay with me, they stem from or are derived from his fallen nature. And they are purposely devised and intended to resist God's truth. They are heavily guarded and protected and are specifically designed to frustrate, to hinder and prevent man from hearing and receiving the gospel plan of salvation. So how do we tear down these walls that are intentionally deeply grounded? How do we breach a camp that is firmly entrenched by the battalions that guard human reasoning? How does the soldier get past the flaming arrows of legion that defend the seat of pride and pleasure? How does one even begin to infiltrate, to dethrone and execute any of the campgrounds of these rebels of God? Because remember, our warfare is not physical. So we, we do not engage in warfare the way the world fights. Our warfare is spiritual in nature. And because it is spiritual in nature, it's going to require the spiritual weaponries of Ephesians 6 which every believer must learn to employ, engage, and execute. The believer must be spirit-led. He must be able to hear and must be willing to obey God's voice. You see, friend, God is strategic, but so is the enemy. And I'm not picking up the enemy because we need to know about our enemy. We need to expose how he does what he does. 
We cannot afford to remain in a stupor all of our Christian life. Hear me, friends. And I didn't say stupid. I said stupor, S-T-U-P-O-R, which means to be in a state of near unconsciousness or insensibility, uh, to, to, to be lethargic, and in this case, spiritually lethargic, to be in a daze, to be filled with numbness as in a trance or a coma. It is the alteration of consciousness that is marked by decreased responsiveness to stimuli and movement. Hear me. So no matter how much the prophet is sounding the alarm, we just can't hear it. So the difference between the two is that stupor is a state of reduced consciousness or sensibility, while stupid is a stupid person, a fool. And there is nothing more dangerous than a careless soul and a spiritually lethargic believer. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. And let's read what that says. That the God, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The human heart is corroded with greed and lust. It is basking in its own pleasure. It has its own thoughts. It stubbornly desires its own way, and it is independent of God. Do we really believe God wants us to be ignorant, you know, walking around clueless and mindless as to how the enemy operates? No, no. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11 gives us the answer. Let's read what that says. No, lest the devil outwits and gains an advantage over us. So it is possible for the enemy to outfox us. It is possible for the enemy to beat us and to gain the advantage if we don't step up our game. We are supposed to be in a position where we are not unaware of his schemes. In other words, we are supposed to be ahead of the game. We ought to be able to discern people of God and understand where he is and where he will strike next. That's how good we are supposed to be. You see, from the beginning of time, the enemy has been guarding the gates. He's been guarding the doors of men's hearts and blinding the eyes so they cannot see. And the Christian warrior who understands warfare is not frightened. He's not scared. He's not dissuaded from his assignment. He understands that attacking the stronghold through whatever weapon God chooses, the great walls get breached and destroyed by the anointing and power of the Lord. And as he boldly enters, stepping over the ruins where false theory and sin and darkness is reigning, he leads the captive free and out into the light of God's glory and grace. The mind of Christ is the helmet of salvation. And in order to know, to, to understand, to comprehend the mind of Christ, the believer must be a steward of the word. He must give himself to time and prayer and study. You know, I cannot know God if I don't spend any time with God. Because it's through personal fellowship, through intimacy, that we get to know who God is as he makes known and reveals to us his desires and plans for our life. And in the short scenario in this lesson that I gave at the beginning demonstrates that I had to be the first partaker of the very thing I teach today.
I had to take a personal stance of faith in the midst of a brutal storm. I had to get into the arena of my own reality and contend with the voices that spoke, the lies they told, and, and face the haunting and taunting that the enemy threw my way. Many times it was grievously and painfully uncomfortable. But it wasn't until I got tired of being sick and tired and began to fight back that I began to rise out from the evil clutches of the, the, of the despair, the depression, and the dejection I was drowning in because girlfriend here was drowning. Sister girl was drowning. Fighting back by applying this kingdom principle strategy afforded me the opportunity to successfully flex my spiritual weapons against my enemy. And the helmet of salvation is served as a filter to catch every lie that gained entrance into my life. Because in order for them to gain entrance into my life, they needed my permission. And this is how they came through the looping holes of unbelief insecurities, doubt, and fear. And when everything spoke against God's promise, and trust me, it did. When everything I was undergoing made God look like a liar, and trust me, it did. When everything appeared as if God had abandoned me, and trust me, it did. When everything God's word had to say about me, my situation, my present condition, when my future looked hopeless, and trust me, it did. It was obedience. It was obedience to his word. It was trusting his will and surrendering to his way, no matter how painful and how shameful that made room for my victory. And just like Yeshua, when he hung on the cross, it was because he loved me and because he loved you. And he knew that it was the only way to buy me back. It was his love that shielded me. It was his grace that kept me. Now, were there ever times I wanted to concede defeat? Absolutely, without doubt. But even Yeshua cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which translated means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever felt like the Father had abandoned you? Yeshua felt everything you and I would ever feel in this life. He felt every pain, every anguish. He felt everything. But God's love for me would not let me go. And it's not going to let you go. And through it all, in the very mix and heat of the fire is where I found that his strength was made perfect in my weakness. And see, you too will face your own battles. And like me, you will have to withstand. You're going to have to oppose and refute the lies of the enemy. And it's a battle. Don't let anybody fool you and make light of it. It's going to take some effort and everything you've got on your part. We don't just get to name it and claim it. We get to name it, apply it, and then walk it out. Because our faith will stand trial in the fires of affliction. The helmet of salvation will help you kill the enemy within. It'll put a muzzle on their tongues. It will mute those deathly, discouraging, doubting, despairing sounds that you hear 
in the midnight hours of your solitude, you know, when no one's around and it's just you. The spirit of discouragement and depression cannot dwell. It cannot abide and live in when there is an active atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. With the presence of the word of God inundating the air, it is impossible for those ungodly spirits to breathe. Hear me, friends. The headgear given to us in Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation, is your defense. When the enemy in our me and in our you desires to detract and derail you off your faith course. This is what it means to put on the mind of Christ. Beloved, this is how you defeat your foe. With just that one piece, you can defeat your enemy. And we haven't even begun to touch the other pieces of this glorious and beautiful and spiritually divine apparatus. This gift from God the Father given to us because of Yeshua dying and being buried and resurrecting. My helmet of salvation serves as a filtering system for my heart. So I must be careful of what I allow to fester there because it can poison and cause my way of thinking to become obscure. Whatever painful crisis you may be facing today, no matter how big the storm or how impossible the task, if you put on the helmet of salvation, if you put on Christ Jesus, he will protect your mind. He will calm your heart and keep you in perfect peace. The helmet of salvation, when executed properly, serves to empower, to keep you moving forward despite the, the obstacles you face. Guard your heart by covering your head. Guard your heart by covering your head. But if we operate through our emotions, we will ruin the plans and strategy of our assignment and forfeit the victory God intends for us to have. As soldiers, we must speak to our feelings. We must, we must command them to line up to the word of God. We must command fear, insecurities, and the doubts in our lives to submit to the Lordship of Yeshua the King. And then we firmly stand on what we know to be true in the word until God brings us out. Hear me, beloved. If we lose the battle in our mind, we will lose it in every other place. I'm going to repeat that. If we lose the battle in our mind, we will lose it in every other place. You see, Yeshua didn't win the victory only at the cross. That was part two of the showdown. He won the spiritual victory in Gethsemane. He won the battle of the mind in the pressing place because that's what Gethsemane means, the pressing place. Gethsemane is the, the pressing place of death where we die to our will and the place where it leads us to say on bended knees, Nevertheless, not my will, O Lord, but thy will be done. Father, I have obeyed your voice. I have delivered your word to your people. Now sanctify them through thy truth, for thy word is truth. 
thank you for tuning in to Narda Goodson Ministries teaching broadcast. I am Narda Goodson, your host. Be sure to tune in next week, same time, same place, for another powerful, life-changing, burden-removing, yoke-destroying, anointed word of God, where Yeshua is Lord, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Shalom. I love to be in God's presence. I love when his wind blows into my atmosphere and consumes me. Worship isn't entertainment. It's more than an emotion. It isn't just singing, clapping, hands, and making noise. Anybody can do that. But real worship will cause you to disrobe and become broken, become vulnerable and exposed before the King. It will require you to unveil and break open your alabaster box. Worship is an on-purpose fanning of the flame of your first love, causing the oil to pour out. True worship opens you to a personal encounter of intimacy that invites and invokes the presence of the King to come in. Worship is the most beautiful thing 